What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. So it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Darius Dale is the founder and CEO of 42 Macro. In this conversation, we talk about consumer spending, durable goods, whether the economy is headed towards a recession, what the Fed possibly could end up doing, and what exactly it means for the U.S. economy to be resilient. I always enjoy talking to Darius, and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. It's as informative and entertaining as always. Here is my conversation with Darius Dale. This episode is brought to you by Start Engine. The biggest fortunes aren't made on Wall Street. They're made way before startups hit the stock market. Consider Mike Walsh. He was just a regular guy, but then he invested $5,000 into Uber. And that investment money, it grew to a staggering $24.8 million. Such opportunities were once behind closed doors, reserved for those with connections or vast fortunes. But not anymore. Start Engine is tearing down that glass ceiling and making startup investments accessible to you and me. With Howard Marks, who co-founded the gaming giant Activision at the helm, Start Engine and its 1.7 million users have fueled startups with over $1.2 billion invested on their platform. And they've done it without taking a cent from venture capital. In fact, they believe in their mission so much, they're almost completely funded through community investors, to the tune of over $75 million in crowdsource funding to date. Sign up for a Start Engine account today at startengine.com and explore live investment opportunities where you can start investing with as little as $100. Again, run over to startengine.com and you can explore those live investment opportunities today. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Darius here. Darius, everyone has been saying that the world is going to end, that we're headed to a recession, and then the GDP number just dropped, and it absolutely blew away expectations. What the hell is going on? Yeah, man, it, it kind of reminds me of like oh, the old school Mortal Kombat. You know, you remember had like the finish him move, <laughs> the, 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 the GDP data, and, and also the PC report that we got on Friday was kind of like the finish him for like the, the, the ultra bearish narrative. And so I think a lot of folks who have been you know, fighting this this equity bull market, the bull market we've seen in credit year to date. I think a lot of folks are going to have to throw in a towel and capitulate in the second half of the year. So let's start with this first chart here, uh, where we talk, where we show uh, real GDP accelerating and beating consensus expectations in the second quarter. Uh, real GDP came in at 2.4% on a, on a quarter for quarter annualized basis. That's the highest print we've seen since the fourth quarter of last year. Um, if you go down to the third panel in this chart, where we show uh, the I component, so gross private domestic investment, that number accelerated to 4.8% on a quarter over quarter annualized basis and contributed 100 basis points to that headline GDP figure of 2.4%. That's the highest number we've seen since the first quarter of last year. So economy's doing doing quite fine. Now, when we go and we look at June numbers specifically, there's uh, some nuanced data here that's kind of telling a story that I think reinforces the macro GDP number. What are you seeing in the June data? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at this chart here where we show um, industrial production, capacity utilization, manufacturing and trade inventories, but specifically want to focus your eyes to the uh, the bottom two panels where we show durable goods, new orders, as well as core capital goods, new orders. 
And just by, for by way of reference, uh, when you see these charts from us, the blue bars indicate the quarter over quarter or the three month annualized rate of change. And then the red line just shows the year over year rate of change. But we're primarily focused on uh, the sequential, the three month annualized rates of change here at 42 Macro, because we believe that's where more market information uh, lies. But again, if you go back and you look at these, um, the June durable goods uh, print, came in at 32.4% three-month annualized. That's the highest number we've seen since September of 2020. And then core capital goods new orders came in at 5.7% on a three-month annualized basis. So that's the highest number we've seen since August of 2022. So, uh, you know, wherever you slice and dice it, whether it be GDP, whether it be durable goods, capital goods, new orders, you know, the U.S. economy very much looked like it's um, it, it's growing quite as robust, quite robustly. Now, you can look at all of the actual goods themselves, but if you just go look at what consumers are doing with their pocketbooks, they're spending. Yeah. What, what are we yeah. seeing here? Yeah, that's what we've been saying, man. And look, the U.S. economy is a consumption-oriented economy, right? We know that 68% of GDP uh, is consumer spending. And on Friday, we got the uh, June PCE report, which I happen to find is this, outside of the jobs report, arguably the most important uh, economic statistic that comes out on a monthly basis. Uh, and when you look at the top panel there, where we show a headline PC, so real personal consumption expenditures, they accelerated to 2.9% in June. That's a three-month high. Uh, and it was driven primarily by a rebound in goods consumption, uh, where we saw uh, goods uh, uh, real goods PCE accelerate to 5.4% on a three-month annualized basis. That is also a three-month high. Now, when we look at income growth, I think this is one of these metrics where like real wages have been down for like two years because of inflation being so high. And uh, obviously, people start to politicize those numbers. But when we look at income growth, that seems to be telling a pretty positive story as well. Yeah, 100%, man. So uh, real wages, and let me just take a quick sec, uh, second to take a step back there. Real wages have been negative in terms of just specifically wages, or at least they had been prior to 2023 for a while. But the reality is consumer income has not been negative because, again, we're seeing total growth in employment. It's not just wages. You also have employment as well. You have government transfers and other avenues in terms of supporting income growth. And so if you um, look at income growth specifically in the PC report, so again, we get consumer spending in that report. We get consumer income in that report, and we also get uh, inflation uh, as it relates to the consumer economy in that report. So let's start with the income here. Uh, so personal income, this is nominal employee compensation. So it's the broadest, nominal, most nominal measure of income that we receive from the labor market on a monthly basis. That number accelerated to 6.2% uh, through month annualized in June. Um, that, you know, that's, that's the highest number we've seen since September of last year. And that really matters because, you know, in nominal employee compensation or employee compensation is right around 60 or a little bit over 60% of total uh, income growth. Another interesting statistic I threw out from this particular uh, chart here, uh, if you go down to the fourth panel there, where we show personal interest income, uh, that number accelerated to 8.8% through month annualized in, in June. Uh, that's the highest number we've seen since January of this year. So when you put those two factors together, nominal employee compensation, interest income, you're talking about 70% of consumer income is growing somewhere between six and 9% on a three-month annualized basis. That just does not sound like an economy that's anywhere near a recession. Now, when we start thinking about the U.S. economy more broadly, this idea of it being resilient keeps coming up or like a, a resilient economy theme. Describe a little bit what some of the factors that feed into that are. Yeah, absolutely, man. So you and I have been talking about this for almost a year now. It's, you know, it's, we created the theme in August of 2022. It's August of 2023. Uh, we've added some things to the list, but primarily most of the stuff was uh, readily available um, if you were doing the research back uh, last summer to understand that the U.S. economy is likely to remain resilient for longer than the average, you know, investor understood. And the reality is, um, you know, so there's, there's eight factors that we see as independent factors, but all being very relevant. Uh, there's number one is near record cash on household balance sheets. Number two, you have near record cash on corporate balance sheets. 
Number three, you have private sector income and wealth have outpaced inflation on a structural basis. So clearly, you know, the big issue is, okay, inflation is very high. You know, it's, it's, you know, we had the negative wage growth that you cited earlier. But the reality is, since the inflation episode started, you know, going back a couple of years ago, we're still seeing income and, and measures of wealth, like you know, uh, household net worth, for instance, uh, those numbers have actually grown faster than inflation has on a cumulative basis. Uh, number four, we've limited credit cycle vulnerabilities. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times. How credit card debt blink, <laughs> you know, credit card debt blink. But I'll throw a couple statistics at you, just specifically as it relates to um, consumer um, consumer leverage. So if you look at household debt uh, relative to nominal disposable personal income, so that the broadest measure of income we have as, as consumers here in the U.S. economy, that number is eighty five point five percent in June. That's exactly the same as the trailing ten year mean. So there's been no sort of degradation in, in terms of um, you know consumers getting over levered in any stretch. And even when you look at it specifically as it relates to credit card debt, uh, that number is right around 4.9% as the percent of uh, nominal disposable personal income. That's below the trailing 10-year mean. So you could take all those tweets about credit card debt and stuff, which is what I said a year ago, <laughs> and put it in, put it in, light it in a dumpster fire with all the other bad economic statistics that uh, people keep trying to cite uh, with this um, with this faulty bearish narrative. Um, the reality is that uh, we got a few more here to get through. So we have limited exposure to the volatile manufacturing sector. Manufacturing sector is way more volatile relative to the services sector. It accounts for about 98% of net job loss in a recession on a median basis going all the way back to uh, the post-war uh, U.S. economy. Uh, we have longer, long and variable lags, at least according to our estimates, based on you know how much, what the percent of debt that's been sort of um, termed out uh, both within the, in the household sector and also in the corporate sector as well. Um, you know, you also have this, you know, these record spreads between, not, or not record, but near record spreads between, you know, let's say a marginal mortgage relative to the effective mortgage rate that everyone's paying or relative to um, the yield on, on corporate credit instruments relative to the, the coupon that the corporates are actually paying. So what's happening is folks aren't going to the market to buy a new house. They're not going to the market to issue new debt. And so ultimately what it means is that monetary policy is just going to take longer to really hit the economy because we're seeing that stasis uh, develop. And lastly, we got Bidenomics. This is something we saw uh, in last Thursday's GDP report. But if you look at um, government investment is growing plus 11% on a three-month annualized basis. It's also growing plus 11% on a year-over-year basis as well. So it's been pretty persistent, that trend of, of, of government um, investment. And then lastly, you have labor hoarding, which is something we've talked about on the program as well. Um, labor hoarding in the sense that it's been very difficult because we've seen this structural decline in the total labor force relative to uh, prior to the pandemic. It's been very difficult for U.S. firms to attack, attract and retain talent. And so as a function of that, they've probably just been more unwilling to fire people in this particular business cycle than they otherwise would have, given how much, you know, kind of tightening we've seen thus far. Bidenomics is still the uh, most hilarious title of all time because it feels like it's used both for positive and negative descriptions. But regardless of totally. what, uh, what what people have from a perspective, it's just the policies have led to the results and uh, you can judge them for yourself. Uh, when we think exactly. about transitory Goldilocks, uh, I know that's something that you've been thinking a lot about. What, what are we seeing here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you go back to, you know, January of this year when we identified the transitory Goldilocks theme, it was it was based on our realization that, hey, look, this immaculate disinflation is real. Right. We had the resilient U.S. economy theme since going back to last summer. But what became pretty clear to us, in, you know, in January, and I think, you know, we were, you know, we were among um, you know other investors who kind of came up with that at the same time. I shout out my man Bob Elliott over in Limited. You know, it's be, hey, we actually are experiencing this immaculate disinflation because what tends not to happen in the U.S. business cycle is inflation breaking down before a recession. But we've act, that's exactly what we've seen. So we, on, on Friday, we've gotten PCE, uh, the PCE uh, report. Within that, we get the PCE deflator. 
So this is uh, the broadest measure of inflation specifically for the, the household sector in the U.S. economy or for the consumers uh, in terms of consumer spending. And so there's four statistics that are really important in that uh, particular report. I'll start with the uh, one, two, three, four, the fifth panel, which is core PCE inflation. So that's the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. This is the one that the Fed cares about the most. That number decelerated to 3.3% on a three-month annualized basis. That's the lowest print we've seen since February of 2021. So that's pretty that's pretty robust. And what's likely to happen in the coming months is that the year over year numbers are going to continue to chase the three month annualized rates of change lower. Um, that should certainly happen as well for Supercore uh, PC inflation, which is the bottom panel there. So Supercore PC inflation is core services. Uh, PC inflation X housing. This is the one that Powell keeps citing at all these FOMC press conferences. And that number uh, decelerated to 3.2% on a three month annualized basis. That's the blue bars in these charts. Um, that's the lowest print we've seen since July of last year. Uh, we're also seeing it on a broad base measure as well. So if you kind of go back up a couple of panels where we show median PCE and trim mean PCE, those numbers came in at 3.8 and 3.4% respectively. Both of those were the lowest numbers we've seen since August of 2021. So we're making significant progress as it relates to, you know, getting inflation under control. And it's coming from, um, you know, some pretty important uh, avenues as well. If you go to the next slide. Now, when we look at things in the private sector, uh, you've got a couple of panels here. What's going on? Yeah, so so this uh, this chart here, just following up on this um, immaculate disinflation uh, discussion here. So we're getting the, obviously the resilient economy. That's the first uh, collection of charts. Second collection of charts here is, is just kind of uh, updating investors on where we are in this immaculate disinflation process. And I'll draw your eye specifically to the bottom panel in this chart where we show the private sector employment cost index. And so that's the broadest measures of wages and salaries that are released on a quarterly basis. And that's the one the Fed kind of really cares about to kind of anchor monetary policy on. And so, you know, historically, we were kind of trending around two, two and a half percent. That's that's pretty much, you know, anything right around two and a half percent is pretty much consistent with two percent inflation. So we're clearly very north of that. Uh, but we are making um, decent progress. Um, if you look at it on a quarter over quarter uh, annualized basis, uh, the private sector employment cost index decelerated to 4.1 percent in the second quarter. That's the lowest print we've seen since the second quarter of 2021. So if we continue to make this kind of progress, you know, it's definitely going to call into question whether or not the Fed is going to be able to uh, continue to get interest rates uh, in September. Don't forget, we got two more uh, CBI reports uh, between now and, and, and the September meeting. I think we have one more PC report and then we have two more jobs reports. So, uh, you know, they're going to be busy in terms of interpreting this data. Now, when you start looking out uh, kind of at what the Fed is seeing here, we obviously got the interest rate hike. Is this something where they can just keep hiking forever or are they pretty much uh, saying to themselves, look, we get the green light because the economy's strong and we can go higher? Is it a wait, we're going to over rotate? How are you thinking about this? You know, it's a great question, man. So it, I think they're done for now. You know, they may go on what feel what may ultimately feel like elongated pause because I don't think between now and the September meeting, FOMC meeting, that they're going to get you know, any data that has a material change in terms of its flavor, you know, we have this immaculate disinflation, it's probably going to slow down the pace of the immaculate disinflation. But ultimately, as we show in chart eight, I'm actually quite concerned that, you know, by the time we get roll the clock three to six months from now, you know, you know, beyond the Fed meeting, I think that the era of inflation can very much shift from immaculate disinflation to sticky uh, inflation. And that might ultimate, ultimately, uh, you know, kind of cause the Fed to, to um, you know, to get off this high horse and, and, and implement another uh, rate hike or so. So we'll see. I don't know that the real, I don't really have a strong opinion on that. But what I do have a strong opinion on is that, uh, as we show here in chart eight, if we continue to see this rally in energy, food and energy prices, um, we have WTI on the left chart there. It just bro recently broke out to bullish from the perspective of our volatility, just a momentum signal. Uh, we have agriculture, which has been bullish for maybe a little bit over a month now uh, relative to our volatility, just a momentum signal. 
if those bullish VAMs, you know, kind of conditions persist for the next few months, we will see another surge in inflation, just similar to kind of what we saw in the first half of 2022. So that's something that's concerning me. But another thing that's concerning me, I think we might have talked about this on the program as well, which is immaculate disinflation was probably going to run out at some point anyway in the second half of the year, just based on where we are in the U.S. business cycle and the likelihood that it's very unlikely that we see inflation return back to 2% prior to a recession. We do believe inflation is heading back to 2%. But we also we also ultimately think that we got to go through recession to get to that. So if you play the clock forward in terms of how the market narrative might change between now and let's call it the end of the year. Right now, it's saying economy is resilient. We got immaculate disinflation. You put those two things together, we got transitory Goldilocks. I think between the end now and the end of the year, some point in Q4, maybe even it spills over to Q1. But I think the narrative around the resilient economy will dissipate and sort of you know kind of and part of the reason the narrative around the really the driving force behind why the narrative on the economy being resilient will dissipate is because the narrative surrounding immaculate disinflation will change. And if we shift back to something that looks like sticky inflation and ultimately a Fed that has to do more tightening that gets pushed the economy into a recession, that's going to cause the resilient economy uh, narrative to, to, to unwind. So, you, you know, I think six months from now, it's probably going to be a very different feel in asset markets. You know, it could be sooner. You know, I don't have a crystal ball on like when that actually is going to come up. But I do believe, you know, when we get into the fourth quarter, some of the data is probably going to look a little bit different than, when it, than it does today. When you look at asset prices, you see the Fed's actions. We go into the end of the year. There's this whole thought process of like, you know, May hits and go away. Is that true? Or do you think asset prices got a shot through the rest of the year? Oh, I think they do. I think we're going to make all-time highs in the SPY. We said this uh, last week uh, a couple of times. And, and, you know, based on the, the, the reality, based on the, you know, the, the, in our analysis of this data, it's very unlikely we see a significant change in the conditions of, you know, the, the, these kind of themes, immaculate disinflation, you know, resilient U.S. economy equals transitory Goldilocks. I think if we have another three months of that, we are going to make all time highs in the SPY. I mean, you just see what happened over the last three months, you know, it could very easily add another 200 S&P points in a matter of a couple of months. So I do believe all time highs in the S&P are, are very likely, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the start of a new raging bull market, because again, I still think the market is going to have to price in at some point between now and you know the first half of next year into the first half of next year something what we call the phase two credit cycle downturn which is the process of the market you know trying to find a lows trying to find a low in earnings and corporate profitability in a recession and the you know the correction and valuations that we typically see you know that allows different businesses different investors to, to capitalize you know businesses and take over new businesses that process is is months if in our view it's probably months away at the earliest probably four or five months away at the latest probably seven eight months away and so if you you think about you know how long how much time that is in risk management terms you think about just think about where we were four to five months ago in pricing terms seven eight months ago in pricing terms and you can kind of roll the clock forward on that when we have to look out over 2024 obviously the economy is uh some people think it's going to go into a recession at the end of this year beginning of next year there's this positive kind of undertone to it uh housing prices is the last thing i want to talk about real quick what we've seen is they're pretty resilient and now there starts to be some softening in it how much of uh economic pain could potentially just be lagging a lot of the interest rate decisions versus some of the data points we talked about today you think can overpower that stuff and, and actually we're on our way back kind of up as an economy and, and the fed uh, we'll, we'll give it quits and walk away. No, that's a great, phenomenal question, man. So um, the Darius, reason, the, the, we've been doing this for how long? Of course, I ask phenomenal <laughs> questions. That's true. Yeah, I think you're one of the world's best, man. And I, I appreciate uh, being on uh, with your community. So um, in terms of answering the question, 
I, I think so. That we we are we believe a recession is the, uh, still the most likely probability. Uh, our model since November of last year has been centered on uh, the six month interval between Q4 of 2023 and Q1 of 2024 as when a recession is most likely to start. So that's still our baseline scenario. You know, we'd have to go through Q1 of 2024 for us to now cast our way out of that. Um, and so, in terms of like the resiliency that we've seen since then, this wasn't an, an impulse. There was not like a, a new thing that created the resiliency. It's that the, the, the economy was always resilient. It was just being underreported. And the market, the price change in the market price year to date has really forced the mainstream media to, you know, to stop doing whatever the hell it is that they're doing all day and actually acknowledge the fact that the economy has been resilient. You know, this is the stuff we do every single day. It seems boring, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out what the three month annualized rate of change of durable goods is, is, is boring as hell, but you got to do it in order to get these themes right. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about 42 Macro? Yeah, I appreciate it, man. So uh, definitely come check us out, 42macro.com. Uh, 42 Macro Weather is my Twitter handle. Pretty active on there as well. So uh, definitely give us a drop. I appreciate you. I learned something every time. We'll do it again. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much.